Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. One of the challenges in church culture is people learn how to put on. You know, you could have a bad day, you could be having a bad attitude, you could cuss at the kids on the way here. And you get, how you doing? Oh, we're blessed. Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, and you know, that's not your kids are looking at you like that's not what you were saying. You weren't praising the Lord in the car, mama, you know, but that's what happens. You know, we, we learn how to behave around here, and, and but it's not in reality. We don't want to get good at being fake. Have you ever gotten so good at faking it that the fake version starts to feel like the real you? As Christians, this is a situation that many of us find ourselves in sometimes without even realizing it. We like to dress up for church and smile, but is our heart really in the right place? Today, Pastor Bill wants you to know that you can't just go through the motions of being a Christian. If you continue faking it in life, you'll get good at being fake, and this is not who God wants you to be. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Romans chapter two for today's edition of A Transforming Word. All right, well, Romans chapter 2, we, last time, this was the content of Romans chapter 2, 1 through 10. We talked a lot about judgment. We talked about God's judgment. We talked about, you know, what's our place as far as judging one another. And we explained that, you know, that, that it is a, there is a place for believers to, uh, with the word of God, with truth, to correct one another, challenge one another, rebuke, convict, exhort all that the Bible says we're supposed to do it. So we kind of put away with the whole idea of don't judge me. You know, that a lot of people like to say when you question them about their lifestyle or what they're doing as believers, uh, there is a place where we are open for a, a dialogue and exchange. If I'm doing something not right, somebody who know I'm supposed to be doing better, uh, have a right to come to me and say, hey, bro, you're supposed to, you say you love the Lord and everything else. But you you said this, but you're doing this. That's appropriate. That's OK. So we talked about that. We'll learn, we kind of, as we finish this chapter today, we're going to learn that ultimately God is the judge. We walk in flesh with one another, we help one another out, but God is ultimately the judge. What's being, I got to kind of break it down because we're, we're going slowly through a book that was given all out together. So if I could give, I could back off of Romans and just say kind of where it's going so that it helps us understand where we are today. It's kind of like in Romans chapter one, Paul brought us to the floor level. He showed us the depravity of man. He said, look at, look, he showed us that downward sinful, sinful spiral where people knew God but didn't glorify him as God. So they were given over to sinful lust and it, it went all the way down to where there was homosexuality. And the end of Romans chapter one was a whole list of sins that people had just gotten themselves into. And so he starts us down on the floor to show us how bad we are. In Romans chapter two, the two groups he's dealing with, he's dealing with Jews and Gentiles. He's dealing with those that are lost in just they're just lost. They're Gentile. They don't know God. Then he's talking about those that are lost in religion. That's what we're kind of looking at in chapter two. As we get to chapter three, he's going to help us see that, hey, all of sin. Ain't nobody right with God. Nobody seeks God. Nobody wants God for themselves. He's bringing us down because he's the Romans going to walk us through the true gospel. And for me to really receive the gospel, I got to have a right understanding of where I started at. If you come to God thinking that you're good and that. You should go to heaven because of some merit on your own part. I guarantee you read Romans as you read Romans and get your way through the gospel. You realize that there was nothing good in me. It'll bring you to the Lord in humility 
and it'll cause you to be ready to receive the gospel. And we come to verses like Romans 5, 8, where God says, I demonstrated my love towards you and that even while you were still a sinner, Christ died. We get to Romans 6, 7 and 8, where he explains the battle and struggle between the flesh, because anybody that starts walking with God knows one thing. It's not easy. And your flesh struggles and, you know, now, you know, because God lives in you, you're not supposed to do it. But your flesh is like, but we always do this. And the battle is going on. And Paul said, I feel you. I was there with you. He explains the battle of the flesh and the spirit. Then you get to Romans 8 and he says, but this is how to have victory. It's by the spirit we put to death the deeds of the body. And we learn about the power of the Holy Spirit. So Romans is taking us somewhere. But where we are today, we're in chapter 2. And in chapter 2, we're going to see how that you can be lost, just lost in carnality. But you could also be lost in religion. You could be lost in, you know, just kind of in a Pharisee type way where you think you're okay because you know some stuff, but your knowledge has not impacted your behavior and how that that could even be worse. So look at Romans chapter two. We left off at verse 10. So read verse 11. Look at verse 11 with me. It says, for there is no partiality with God. But as we just begin this section right now, God reminds us up front with God, there is no partiality. What does that mean? It, it, it comes from two Greek words. It means to receive and to face. And the idea is this. God says with me, you know how we can judge someone. We say we can judge a book by its cover. I can judge you at face value. I can look at you and say, based on what I see, I believe this about you. God says, I don't do that because God judges you and me in reality. Right. God's not looking at what's at face value because at face value, I might look OK. But God's like, no, I see underneath what's there. That's how come Judas Iscariot, when Jesus said, one of y'all is going to betray me. They didn't all look at Judas. I'm always shocked that they didn't all. I knew it. <laughs> Judas, I, I knew, always knew it was something about him. Nobody said that. They started, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? At face value, they couldn't tell. But Jesus said, I know. I know exactly who you are, Judas. And so that's who we have to deal with one day. And so this is a fallacy and a weakness in human nature. We get good at fooling other people into believing that we are what they would approve of us being without thought for the fact that I'm one day going to stand before God who knows what I really am. And one of the challenges in church culture is people learn how to put on. You know, you could have a bad day. You could be having a bad attitude. You could cuss at the kids on the way here. And you get, how you doing? it? Oh, we're blessed. Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, and, you know, that's not your kids are looking at you like that's not what you were saying. You wasn't praising the Lord in the car, mama, you know, but that's what happens. You know, we, we learn how to behave around here. And, and but it's not in reality. We don't want to get good at being fake. It's better to be real because this is what happens when you be real. If you be real all the time, how you man, I'm, I'm messing up again. You'll eventually get sick of that testimony. And you'll think about it next time you're about to mess up and you'll get real. You'll get good in reality. You'll, you'll, they'll begin to be transformation. But if you get good at faking people out, this is a danger in that. You've gotten good at being like the devil who's deceptive. You've, got, you've gotten good at being a deceiver instead of let God come in and transform you, which is what he wants to do. I'd rather I take all day. It'd be better to go forth and say, I'm a mess up. How, how you doing with the, I'm a mess. My life is tore up. I smoke dope. I fornicate. I, I, I'm all messed up. Here it is. I need help. That person is a, is a million times easier to get them where God wants to take them than the person that's doing all the same stuff. I'm doing great. Praise. I read my Bible every day. I pray. I do devotions. And uh, here I am. And you got to weed through it. And that's what we're going to see in this chapter. God is going to dig in to the religious folk because they were feeling pretty good about their religion 
But God says, ah, you're going to deal with me one day. So God says, first of all, with me, there's no partiality. I know what's really going on. That's how come we don't qualify to judge people with finality. I'm unqualified to tell someone you're going to hell with finality. I could tell someone that based on how you're living right now, if you never repented, you would go to hell. But I don't have authority to put you in hell. I don't have authority to say you're going to hell because you did that that one day. You know, I don't have that authority. I don't want that authority, by the way. I don't have authority to put you in heaven or put you in hell. I can tell you how to get there. I can tell you how to avoid it. But God has the authority to say, boom, with finality. And so, uh, man, there's no partiality with him. He sees us for what we are. One thing I want to take away from that, because we are made in God's image and we are to imitate God. We need to be careful about being people that are walking partiality where we we're, if you if you find that you make judgments a lot based on, you know, quick judgments. You know, I, I look, you look at somebody. Oh, I bet they this. Oh, I bet she. Oh, I bet he. You know, if you that kind of person, that's you messy. You know, you need to not. That's that's an unhealthy way to be, especially as a believer. And all you got to do is be wrong two, three, ten times before you realize that maybe I need to stop that mess. You know, maybe I'm not really fit to make quick judgments about people. You know, so you want to give people time to let themselves be shown for what they are. So anyway, moving on. Verse 11. Verse 12, I'm sorry, for as many as have, so I'm going to read 12 through 16 all together, and I'll come back and kind of break it down for us. It says, for as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearer of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secret to men's hearts by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. So. In verses 12 through 16, we kind of got two groups here. We see that there's there's obviously those that have the law. And so he says, hey, for as many as have sinned with the law, that's the Jews. The Jews are those that have the law and they've sinned with the law. Those that have sinned without the law, those are the Gentiles. They don't have the law, but they sin. I want you to understand that there's three groups and they're all sinners, by the way. You got the Jews. Those are those that God gave the law to them. Can they keep the law, you guys? Has anybody ever kept the law? Will there be anybody except Jesus? Will there be anybody in heaven because they perfectly kept the law? Don't forget that. Because everything he's saying here, he said, hey, if a, if a Jew was to keep the law, then they can make it. But nobody can do it. We'll find out in chapter three, verse tw- 23, for all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. So he's taking them down a course. He's saying, hey, if you could perfectly keep the law, you'd be justified. Then we get to chapter three and he says, nobody can do it. So I'm just kind of cheating ahead to say that nobody ever did that. So anybody ever said, well, I keep the Ten Commandments. You ain't always kept the Ten Commandments. (laughs) You know, the the law must be kept with perfection. So if a person is to be justified by the law, that means they could never not one time in their entire life have violated any part of the law, which ain't nobody here. Nobody in their right mind would even suggest that they had. I've had a few people try. Nope, I've never lied. Lying right now. Um, you know, never hated anybody. Yes, you have. You know, I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. But there are people. There's some special people out there. So you got the Gentiles who they don't have no law. When you were a non-believer, 
You didn't really have the law. When I was a non-believer, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't have the word of God. But do you guys know what a non-believer does have that God's going to hold them to? What, do you, what is everybody born with? Conscience. God gave you a conscience. That's how you know. That's how little kids. That's, look, check your babies out. Little kids, when they're little and they're cute and they know when they're doing something wrong, you know how they know? Because they look. How they know already they're supposed to sneak and do that? How they know that they're, not, they're trying not to get caught doing it because they know they're not supposed to do it? That's the conscience is at work. Conscience saying, I, I know I'm not supposed to, but I want to. Little sinners. They're cute little sinners. Little, little, little bitty hands and begging. They're cute. Now. <laughs> but they're sinners. And we can't forget that, right? It's innate. Everybody has it. And so this is what happens to the non-believer, right? You can, you can have a non-believer. They're not Christian. But you can have someone that's not Christian, but they... They yield to their conscience. Their conscience, it challenges them. They, they, they yield. And so you have some people that aren't Christian, but they're pretty moral people. They're people that are not Christian. They don't, they don't lie. You know, they try to live a clean life. And, you know, for the most part, you look at their life and say, hey, he's a good guy. You know, pretty, you know, without Jesus, he's an all right guy. He's pretty, pretty squared away. Um, but can you be squared away enough? No. But um, that's, that's, that's bearing witness. There's a conscience at work there. People have asked. What happens to the people way out in the boonies? Never heard the name Jesus. Never heard the gospel. What about them? What about the pygmies in Africa? That's the one I always hear. What about the what about the people way off in some reserve and they've never had a missionary come down? They've never heard the gospel. What's God going to do with them? What we learn in chapter one, God says the creation bears witness of a creator and God will judge them based on the light that's been shown them. It's amazing when you do find the reports. And I've read a uh, documentary. No, it's not. What, it, what, is, what is a someone's life thing? What is that called? Uh, biography. I've read several biographies with Harmony on missionaries that went different places. And this was one thing that blew me away as they would get to areas. Missionaries that went in the areas where they were people had never been spoken to. They've never met. I mean, they they've been living their way for forever. And they've documented what it was like as they got into the culture. It's amazing that some of them went in the cultures where they said, well, if you just look at the way they're living, they're living like Christians. I mean, they the relationships are monogamous. One man, one woman. Um, you know, they you know, this, the, their, their practice, their behavior is like, man, they they they're walking according to a moral, a moral code with no Bible and no Jesus. And in, in all their tales, they, they recognize a creator. They recognize that this stuff didn't just come up. None of them have decided, none of them have, you know, suggested evolution. They all believe in a creator God, all of those groups. Um, but they've gone into some other groups where it's like, man, it's cannibalism. They carnal to the core. They eat one another. They steal wives. They, you know, they do all kind of crazy stuff. And you realize that they're not much. They're, it's just like us. There are people out here that, you know, live a pretty tame life. And they're pretty to live, people that live a pretty wild, reckless, carnal to the core life. This is the thread through all of it. Every single person needs what? They need Jesus. Everybody. Some people need to be saved from their religion. This is the danger of religion. And I'm going to go and read these things for you guys. The danger of religion is this, that you can begin to feel like because you know some stuff and you adhere to a belief or you agree with a certain doctrine that you're OK. And even worse, that you're better than somebody else. And that's not really how it should work for the Christian. When you really understand the gospel, you should be humble and thankful. When you recognize that I was a sinner, I was lost. 
I didn't go looking for God. We're going to see that in chapter three, that no one sought God. God sought you. I hate when I hear testimonies. I found the Lord. No, he was not lost. You, you was lost. You know, he found you. You know, you were lost, not the Lord. But anyway, you know, God sought you out. He found you. He opened your blind eyes and softened your hard heart and revealed to you what Christ had already done for you. And he saved you. And I, I don't understand how anybody could understand that, receive it, and they become cocky about it. Well, you know. I think there should just be a humility, and that's, that's why we're supposed to be the, the people that have received the gospel. We should be the best candidates to go out to carnal people, lost people, and share it with them because God did it for you, right? When you weren't looking for him, he found you. Now you go looking for some people that need to be found and share the good news with them. In this culture here, the, the religious people were, they, they were feeling pretty big about their religious stuff. So first of all, these are the Three groups. Those who do not have the law represent Gentiles, and we'll see that through the chapter. Those that are under the law, that's the Jews. We'll see them in the chapter. And the third group would be Christians, those that have been delivered from both. And um, if you write notes, you can write down 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32, and I'll read it to you real quick. And 1 Corinthians 10, 32, it says this. It says, give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks, which would be the Gentiles, or to the church of God. And I just want you to know that they separate the three. You got the Jews, those that are under the law that need Jesus. You got the Gentiles, they're just lost out there in the world. And you have the church of Jesus Christ, those that have received Christ and his forgiveness, salvation. I just want you to know there's a distinction between the three groups. And so moving on down now in verse um, 14 and 15, it says, now when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, These, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or excusing them. And so everybody's heard in the world, people will say, only only who could judge me? Only God could judge me. Everybody quote Tupac. You know, he ain't the first one to say that. But, you know, those are those are kind of things you hear in the world. Only you, you, you don't tell me what to do. Only God could judge me. And I love to tell people when they say that. You're right. You're right. Only God could you. Only God is going to judge you. I'm just trying to make sure you've been on the right side of that judgment because you will meet him one day. But it is a true statement. I think the way that it's said is like, you know, shut up. Leave me alone. Don't say don't tell me about my life. Only God could judge me. But I'm telling people you don't want to wait till then. Right. You, you really don't want to wait to meet him to recognize that, you know, what the criteria for his judgment is. So it is true that only God could judge you. But. As you look at this here, God says, look, non-believers, they show that the law of God is written in their hearts. And so I think this is important to know when you engage the world. When I'm engaging someone that's lost, you'll find that people will fight really hard for things that, you know, you you could tell that they're battling their own conscience. And so they're vigorously arguing and fighting against something because their conscience is bothering them about it. But they're suppressing it. What did they say in Romans 1? What do they do with the truth? They suppress the truth of God in what? In unrighteousness. I don't want to hear. I'm pushing it down. I'm stomping on it. Everybody here, think back to when you weren't saved. Um, For some of you guys, you think back further than others. But I want you to just consider when you weren't saved, things that you had to, you violated your conscience. Your conscience told you don't do it. And you had to like push it off, push it off, push it off until you could do it. And then after a while, what happens to your conscience after you violated over time? The Bible says it gets seared. If you take a hot iron and sear it, it loses feeling. You know, women get a, a C-section. They, they do it with a hot knife. 
they draw up on her or whatever and they, they the hot knife cut straight across so it, it cauterizes the skin so it don't bleed out um, as they cut her open. The feeling also is going to be, it's going to take away nerve endings and everything else is going to be numbed out. When you violate your conscience continually, the Bible says your, your conscience is seared like what a hot iron does. And so that's what can happen. And I could bear te- testimony in my own life of things that I was nervous about doing, even felt bad about doing at a point in time that I eventually lost all consciousness about it. I remember this and it's sad, but the first time when I wasn't saved, I, I did, you know, I did things. I was money was a God for me. The first time I robbed somebody, I never forget it. I, I went out with some friends and we were drinking and we went out and I was like, let's, you know, I just wanted, to, I just wanted excitement. And so we seen these guys walking and I, I did it. I robbed them. I took watches and, and walkmans and shoes and all this stuff. And I remember getting back to my apartment and I got back to my apartment and I'm not saved. I do not know God. I just was so I felt so bad about what I did. I didn't want the stuff in my house. So as my friends were leaving, I was like, hey, take this with you. Take this with you. Take this with you. I didn't want it. And I remember that. I remember what that felt. I felt bad. I felt bad that I took those guys and I looked at what they had. I took their bag and I'm like, they ain't even got nothing. And I was sitting there and I'm not saved, but I felt bad about it that day. But I did it again. And I did it again. I remember at by the, by the point, by a, there was a latter point in my life where it was just, there was a numbness to that. But I remember that I, without Christ, I felt terrible. I felt bad. I even took that. Nobody wanted the shoes. I remember took the rest of the stuff and I threw it in a dumpster. I didn't want the stuff. I didn't want to look at it. it made me feel bad. And that was a conscience, but I, I just, I didn't submit to it. I didn't yield to it. I, I went against it. And so maybe for you in some other area of your life where you would say, man, I went against my conscience. God says, that's my law written in your heart. That's me in there saying, no, I didn't create you to do that. And the conscience is written on your heart. And so you find someone living in an area of sin and challenge them on it, talk to them about it. And you'll watch that the fireworks go out. You can't tell me. <laughs> and when you hear all that venom and all that argument, that's them battling with their own conscience. You know, people don't argue like that for things that make sense, you know. It's for sin. People, they just get all riled up about it. And so, so we all have a conscience. And I think it's a healthy thing that God has put in us that I'm without excuse. You don't really have to teach somebody that murdering is wrong. How do we just know that? How come there are certain things that everybody knows it just would be wrong to kill somebody? And I watched a, a kind of a debate go forth, back and forth, and it was over a particular sin. And they were saying, this sin right here, this thing right here is wrong, and this should never happen. And as you walk through with people, you're like, okay, well, at what point do we really come down on sin? So child molestation, that's wrong. Okay, that's wrong, and it's, you feel like that's wrong. Is it wrong for two people that are not married to have sex? Um, is that wrong? Is it wrong for, and we start walking down the list with them, and in their mind, there were certain things that deserve, you know, immediate radical judgment. And what we were trying to do is walk them down and say, look, at every point, these things, they grow into these other things. But at every point, sin will be judged. God's not just judging the things that you think are terrible. You can roll the tape way back to these things that you don't think are so bad. But they're, they're wrong before the Lord. It's wrong before God to do these things. I don't believe there's anybody that violates God's command to not have sex before they're married that don't feel some kind of way when they first do it. I guarantee everybody initially 
there's something your conscience knows you're not supposed to do this, but you go against your conscience and you do it anyway and you violate that. And some people have habitually violated that. And now they need to be they need to be delivered from, you know, and it's not really that you need to be delivered. I, I don't necessarily agree with deliverance ministries. And I'll tell you why a deliverance ministry is almost like it's, it's not my fault. Right. Who went out and had sex? I did in, in that instance. I didn't. I'm texting my wife. But, you know, in that scenario, you know, I went out, I fornicated, I broke the law, I broke the commandments. Now I'm going to show up at church and I need to be delivered. Is that how it works? What do I really need to do? It's the R word. I need to repent. I need to repent. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Paul knew suffering, and he had faced false accusations, been beaten, left for dead, imprisoned, and hated by his own people. How could a man who has suffered so much rejoice in it? He answers that question through the love of God and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Next time you're facing suffering, jump into the book of Romans, dig into the life of Paul, and remember the purpose of the suffering to produce endurance, character, and hope. We're so glad you joined us today on A Transforming Word, where Pastor Bill Buffington has been working his way through the rich book of Romans. A Transforming Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. If you're in the area, we love to see you in person. We have two services on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. and one service midweek. That one is held Wednesday evenings at 7. If you're not in the area, we live stream our services on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also find us online at CalvaryInglewood.org. Under the media tab, you'll find links to our messages as well as our mobile app. We're out of time for today. Thanks for deciding to spend your time with us today. We'll see you again next time with more from Romans on a Transforming Word. 